Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Kevin Pilar's was it was it eye high when he hit it? It might have been over his head. <laughs> yeah, might have been. Could have been over his head. Uh- He's probably over his head in center field, kind of like a lot of batted balls are over his head. Zahn gets sick for any of the games and is unable to be on. We just leave him off the rest of the season. I think that's fair. I like like this new version of the do-over. We just have creative (laughs) punishments. Welcome to episode number 33 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we're still looking for Zach Britton. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined for this playoff edition. We're going to see how many of these we can pull off of the Artificial Turf Wars mm-hmm. podcast by Joshua Hausam. How you doing, Josh? Well, the fact that we're still doing playoff editions makes me happy. Woo! Playoffs! Still alive! <laughs> American League Championship Series! But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, we're going to talk about the American League Divisional Series, the one that you don't ever get a banner for, which I don't know if that'll ever end up coming up. Uh, And then we are going to talk uh, to Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs about the Cleveland team that is uh, in our sights for the next, hopefully, only four games. Um, On the good side, of course. Then we have... Good qualifier. (laughs) We have uh, Lister questions. We have a couple of do-overs because... Lots of talking heads during the playoffs, if you noticed. And uh, we have a very special anniversary coming up soon that we want to talk about. Well, I wanted to talk about it anyway. But let, let us start with the American League Divisional Series and our Toronto Blue Jays, of whom we are most proud. Game one in Texas. They came out just on fire. Did that surprise you right off the bat against Cole Hamels? Yeah, it did. I mean, Cole Hamels is really, really very good. And the Blue Jays going into the playoffs, I mean, they'd won a bunch of games. I mean, well, actually, just two in a row. But they hadn't hit, right? I mean, they, they, they got the home run by Encarnacion against Baltimore, but that was only their – they got five runs, but two in the first ten innings. Yeah. You know, and, and on Hamels, you know, for the first two innings, he walked Donaldson, but he looked like he was in control. And then they just pummeled him. Five runs in the third. That's that is uh, that was the big unexpected thing for me. It was just like, oh, that's 
that's practically enough to win a game right there. I was quite amazed at at them just, you know, coming out of nowhere and, and managing to, to string things together. And Donaldson and ended it was up... Interesting. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it was interesting how close it came to being nothing, right? You know, it's like if this was a week prior, Donaldson's line drive off Beltre's glove is out and is an out and the inning's over. Yeah. <laughs> and we never knew. We never knew what could and happen. It, or Encarnacion's grounder, the the comebacker that takes off Hamill's glove is an out instead of an infield single. You know, and then Tulitsky's ball is caught by Desmond. Instead, the Jays got three breaks and they cash on all of them. That's the remarkable part, is is not only the three breaks, but everything comes around to score is is very unlike the September part of the Blue Jays lineup. They just, they didn't do it for September. And you, I, it didn't feel like a team that could. And then all of a sudden, game one against the Rangers, um, they're on fire. And then they didn't stop. They scored another two runs just for good measure in the next inning. Eh, why not? That's, yeah. It's not hard. Well, that, was, that, that was the other interesting thing about it because you know, a lot of times this team would score a couple runs early and then just go silent. They they put up five and they piled on two more right away with the you know the home run by Upton to lead off the inning and then an RBI single from Donaldson later, then they scored again later on. It was just an absolute beatdown. And in the meantime, your boy Marco Estrada is humming along like he's going to throw the Blue Jays' first complete game of 2016 and he's going to do it in the playoffs against. <laughs> I was Texas. so hoping that would happen. Yeah, but, for uh, all, yeah. all the great things this starting rotation did, they never did finish a game. No, and they led the league in innings and didn't have a complete game. But, uh, I mean, he was awesome. I had no walks, four hits, two of which were in the ninth. Or maybe it was just the one. But, you know, six strike. He was just masterful. I mean, all the pop-ups, the weak swings. He, you know, his last three starts of the regular season and that first start against Texas, he's looked like the guy that was we've seen since the beginning of last season, except for that you know, four- or five-week stretch in the middle of the summer. Mr. Pop-up. And... Yeah, they they did not. Some teams were were looking for his changeup as the season wore on, and those teams, not that they did great against him when he was on, but you could see that they would do better when they were looking for the changeup. Texas apparently did not get the scouting report that you could look for Marco's changeup, or it was a fantastic changeup that day, and they couldn't tell it from the fastball. I'm not sure which. Well, I think what was happening before is, you know, teams do like to sit on his changeup because he doesn't throw all that hard and his changeup is excellent. But the issue is that his fastball command wasn't that good. So he'd be falling behind 1-0, 2-0, and then guys can just sit back and rip. Whereas now he's like painting fastball in the corner, painting fastball in. And then it's like, okay, he'll throw a changeup. He'll throw two more fastballs. And they're like, uh, oh, crap, what's happening now? And then just look stupid. But when he doesn't have the fastball, he can get hit. And uh, and to his credit, he had the fastball working, and he he knew exactly how to how to navigate through the rest of the game with it. And some of those swings, there we're going to have an interview with Jeff Sullivan. He actually had, I believe it was him on on Fangraphs, some some stills. It was yes of the most well stills and gifts of of the most ridiculous swings against Marco Estrada's changeup in that game. There are guys on one knee. There are people practically sitting down in the box. There's. There's a few guys facing the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, they look like they're, they're lefties when they're righties. Um, and that's what he'll do. And I, I think that the playoffs do not have a lot of pitchers who will do that thing. There's, a, there's some very good pitchers left, obviously. But certainly, if you group the Jays starters as a group, they're all different, but they're all very, very good. And, and there's no team left that I, I think compares to them in, in those terms. Um, having four starters who all have great stuff and the potential to have great results. Yeah, and so differently, which is interesting. We asked Estrada about this in the next game. It's like, oh, well, what did you know? What did you do though? You could pass on to Hap. He's like, well, you know, we're not the same, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, none of us are the same. <laughs> no, the only thing I found interesting was I was looking at fastball usage, of course, because of Aaron Sanchez um, in his rather difficult game. Uh, three and um, we'll yeah we'll get there but I, I was looking at that and and Jay Happ and Aaron Sanchez throw almost an a, a exact same percentage of fastballs now over the course of the season but that doesn't mean they do it the same way nor does it mean no. they have the same secondary stuff so it's like well there's one thing they have in common but uh, that's kind of superficial yeah 
Game two. Shall we move on to game two? Yes. Oh, and just, you know, Batista hit a bomb in Texas, and that was awesome. Okay, game two. <laughs> well, that's that's important. That is, that's the closest Batista had to come to real revenge for the big bat flip, right? To just say, hey, I'm not washed up. I can still do that. Yeah. So a nice little statement at the end of a, a, a meaningless garbage time sort of thing. Okay, now we can go on to game two. You have my permission. Okay. You know, and it was game two was sort of the same. I mean, they just came out and beat the crap out of one of Texas's elite pitchers. I mean, this time it wasn't, you know, off a glove here, off a glove there, just missed it. But it was four home runs off you, Darvish. Those home runs were some of the most, other than Encarnacion's shot, which was a bullet. Chulos was a bomb. Fair. But <laughs> Kevin Pilar's, was it, was it eye high when he hit it? It might have been over his head. Yeah, might have been. <laughs> Could have been over his head. Uh, never saw a pitch he didn't like. Even his teammates say that about him, apparently. Like, that's that came out in one of the interviews. It's not yeah, even, it was Barney. Yeah, they just, oh, he never sees a pitch. So I think he hit that all of, like, 98 miles an hour. Generally, you, you have to get a home run up over 100 to, to have consistent results, like to, to have an, enough velocity to get out. So that one wasn't 100, and... The other home run wasn't 100 either. They, they literally fluttered out of the Rangers' ballpark because of conditions, which is fine with me. They still count. They still hit them well. I mean, it wasn't like they weren't fluky. I mean, they were still well-hit balls. I mean, I, yeah, uh, well, I guess Pilar's would have been an out, but Carreras is at least a double. Right, but you're just – anytime I see Ezekiel Carrera home run, I'm suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway – but on the, and then on the flip side, Hap is giving up base runner after base runner after oh. base runner, and he leaves after five with ten runners, only one run. That was I. If I was a Rangers fan, I would have just torn out my eyebrows, man. Like it was clear he did not have either the command or the stuff that he was he was going to get deep into the game. All you had to do was was get that one hit, and he was gone. There was, you know, he was on that short leash from Gibbons it was the okay well if they start scoring off you I've I've got to get rid of you because there's nothing and they couldn't do it they what was it by the end of the game was it like 13 runners left in scoring like on base yeah they were like two for 18 in terms of scoring <laughs> position or something like that but oh. um but what the interesting thing about happened that game all but so in the five he pitched five innings and into the sixth but in the first five innings he did not give up a second base runner until there were two outs so they so were they, so they get going they so like they go uh an out single out another runner on and it's like oh no there's two outs and you need a hit and they just wouldn't get it it wasn't like they were having second and third nobody out second and third one out so his sequencing was excellent <laughs> <laughs> or theirs was awful it all depends on where yeah. you're sitting yeah um but anyway so it worked out well, that's, still... Actually, that's not true. In the, in the second, they had first and second one out, but then he struck out the next two batters. But that was a nail biter because of what uh, the two runs that they managed to, to squeak on through on the in the eighth. Yeah, so... I mean, it looked like it wasn't going to be close. Yep. But and... you know, Liriano came in in the eighth, and he wasn't great. Right? And then he got hit in the head. Yeah, so he gave a couple <laughs> hits. Uh, sorry, gave up a hit and a walk, and then he got the line drive from Gomez off the back of his head, and you know it was obviously scary. And he he came out and certain times he was fine. He had a mild concussion, but I mean, you know, when you get 102 miles an hour off the back of your head, that's probably the best thing you can hope for, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You're you're thinking, is he is he bleeding internally? Is he is he gonna? How is he still standing up? You know, anytime I see yeah, that, it just skull fractures. It blows my mind. So then John Gibbons does the thing that he's done a whole lot in the last month of the season. He, and then he really didn't want to do. No, but he goes to Osuna. Like, well, he's already used Grilly and Cecil, obviously. So he can't go to either of those trusted. I don't know if Cecil's trusted yet. Do you think he's trusted? No. Okay. Uh, he goes to one <laughs> trusted guy that he's already used up, and he's got Mr. Torin Calf who's not available because he's not on the roster and he just used his other trusted guy and he got hit in the head and he wasn't doing very well anyway. So he, did he have a choice? Did, could he go to someone else before tapping Osuna again for more than four, three outs? 
Not if you want to go win the game. You're not going to Ryan Tapera with two runners on base and a two-run lead. This is where John Gibbons finds himself over and over again. Do you think he's going to manage that differently in the ALCS? Do you think he's going to try and hold somebody else, you know, for those extra two outs? Or, or do you think he's going to always play it? I'll just push the Osuna button because, hey, there's only there's only potentially 14 games left and we'll worry about what happens when it happens. I, I think he'll try to limit. I mean, he wanted we're going to get to game three as well, but he wanted to limit Osuna in, in the third game of the series as well. I think he's going to be careful with him, especially if Liriano comes back for game two, which it sounds like he's going to. He says he's completely fine. Um, but I think it, you know, if he gets to these spots where it's, you know, two guys on in the eighth and you're up by one with one out, it's going to be the Osuna guy button being pushed. He's coming in because it works. That's the astonishing yeah, your, thing is. Yeah, he, I know. He's, you know your, he's your best guy. Yeah. But and you, you want your best guy when you need the biggest outs. <laughs> I, I do wish sometimes the Jays would just score in the next half inning so Osuna could take five so Ryan Tapera can actually come in. Yeah, exactly. Because that has not happened in their favor yet, and there's been a couple times where it's been possible that they could have tacked on a couple runs and, and taken the pressure off. Um, but, yeah, that's water under the bridge, so to speak. So in that game, after Darvish and his home run barrage, Texas didn't give up. They gave up one hit and one walk in the next four innings. So again, if they had been able to put a little bit more of a rally together, it didn't look like the Jays had anything going on. No, I mean, Texas's bullpen's pretty good. And, you know, Barnett had an ERA in the twos this season, I think. You know, we saw how good Bush and Dyson can be. So like, those are the three guys that came in and shut the team down. And that's what good relievers do. I mean, the Jays did the same thing until Liriano. Mm, yes. And I mean, th- th- these are why you, you hopefully believe that you can count on these guys <sighs> yeah but anyway, then, they held on to win and you know yeah. went home up to nothing and chance to sweep away you know on a legitimate rival <laughs> and then that's how we get to the sweet sweet nervous agonizing game three <laughs> <laughs> uh i thought game three was going to be in the bag after the, the the two home runs and the three runs in the bottom of the first inning because it was Aaron Sanchez on the mound. Well, and for me, especially after, you know, they, the Rangers got one back in the third on uh, the home run by, was it Andrews then or Odor? I can't remember when he hit his, but uh, I think it was Andrews. Andrews. And then they put another two back. Yeah. So, so it's like 5-2. It's like I didn't think Aaron, Aaron Sanchez was going to give up five. Even though he wasn't that sharp, it's like five runs? I don't think so. But... <laughs> it didn't, yeah, it didn't pan out the way, uh, the way we're all hoping... Uh, in the early going so again Sanchez learns an unfortunate lesson about starting the playoffs I I don't do you send Sanchez out for the sixth having thrown as many pitches as he had um the pitch count wasn't that high but just considering how not very effective he was yeah that's what I mean like he he was the thing is he struck out the side in the fifth hmm Right, so the, the, there was not much likelihood he was going to come out. I I, th- I'm, I guess when I was watching, I was thinking, all right, it, this is going to be a one base runner, and I'm I've got someone up for you, probably be a genie. And there was a base runner, and then there was another base runner, and I was like, oh, I guess we're doing this, are we? And then sure enough, those, both of those base runners come around to score. And then actually yeah. another well, I think one. it's because yeah. there were two outs. Like he got Beltron and Beltre first two outs of the inning. Yeah. And I, then he walked Odor. And then I I guess you could have said to go get him for Luke Roy. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, Luke Roy singled on the first pitch. And it's first and second, two out. You would expect to be a genie to get out of that, you know. But, you know, they chose to be a genie against Moreland over Cecil against Rua. I'm not sure I would have made that same choice, but Biagini's been nailed, so they went that way, and he doubled, and they found themselves behind. Yeah. And it, 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 again, they, they turned right around and they answered. There was a lot yep. of turning right around and answering. It's like, okay, we'll tie it up. Uh, yeah, in, in the weirdest way. Yeah. Well, I mean, always tie it up on a wild pitch. That's. Yeah. That's pretty much in the, the playbook. The Jays lost a lot of games weirdly early in the season. We did see the walk-off wild pitch. We saw the walk-off walk. Uh, did we see something like a foul out 
not fallout but like a, a ball caught in foul territory or something i can't remember oh i don't know there have been a lot of weird games yeah and and they all they, they tended to end very sadly for the blue jays so um this one i wasn't sure about but i like a tie a whole lot more than i like being down by a run yeah i mean it started like it started to look like it could be even more than that uh so in that inning martin struck out to lead off and then Tulewiski got the single, and they brought in Jakeman for, and then the Jays obviously went to Upton, and he lines the double. It's like, oh, playoff Upton. I mean, he's he's been great. He's yeah. got, you know, he I mean, he only has the two hits in the and one walk in the eight plate or seven plate appearances, but he's got a home run, he's got a double, he's only got the one strikeout. I mean, that's what you want from him, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're playing in platoon, that's why he only has seven plate appearances. Is it make him count? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And then they intentionally walked Pilar. I was sure he was going to swing at at least two of them. <laughs> Just to see. Just to see if they switch back to pitching him again. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so they had bases loaded, one out, and, and that was where the Jays' roster decisions at the beginning of playoffs really, it was like, oh, no. Because they couldn't hit for Barney. Right, because Devin Travis's knee is too bad to put him in defensively or to have him pinch hit. Um, so he's only in if somebody else kills over nearly dead. So you don't have anybody to substitute back in in the infield. Yeah, and it's like, oh, great. Good thing we've got eight relievers. <laughs> Four of which Scott we Feldman. will never oh, use. He was on the roster, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so it was uh, not the ideal. He's, he struck out, I believe. Gakella struck him out. Oh, no, he fouled out. And then uh, the wild pitch or the pass ball. It's like, oh, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, it's free run because it wasn't coming in any other way at that point. Uh, no. I think Carrera hits another bullet, which would have been his third hit of the day, and Mazzara tracked it down. It looked like it was going to be a two-run hit. I was disappointed. I was – I said a swear. <laughs> <laughs> Bad boy, Gregory. Oh, goodness me. And then so things – you know, come around and Matt Bush shows up and it was it the eighth inning was his first inning. I believe it was. Yeah. Yes. Bush Kayla, moved in the bottom of the eighth. Kayla looked great. Uh, even though he technically blew the save, um, because of the wild pitch, but so Bush shows up and, uh, we all know Matt Bush is, uh, unfortunate past, et cetera, et cetera. But he was, he looked great. He looked fantastic. Yeah, he struck out the four batters he faced, first four batters. Yeah, and he continued to throw hard, and he continued to locate, and they didn't even look like they were going to put a bat on the ball uh, until Josh Donaldson, was he the first one? He doubled off of him? In the bottom of the 10th, he let off of the double. Yeah, and that was the first, like, it felt like the first contact in three innings. <laughs> I was... <laughs> But at the same time, Bush is getting up to into the like the forty pitch range. He's he's not a forty pitch reliever, so that's where the question comes up. We know Matt Bush coming into a game new is probably a better reliever than Sam Dyson. But is Matt Bush after thirty eight pitches a better reliever than Sam Dyson when you need a ground ball? You know what? I I don't think it that taking him out. Would have been necessarily the right move. Matt Bush was still humping 99 miles an hour when he struck out Bautista. You think there was some adrenaline there? Yeah. I know, we, you know <laughs> this will come up with Jeff Sullivan. You know, the adrenaline really plays up in these moments. And he got the ground ball. It wasn't like he pitched poorly. No. And, and Russell Martin will not be remembered for grounding out to send the game to the 11th inning. And maybe he should be. So it was very funny. So Texas turned the most double plays in the American League. The Blue Jays hit into the most double plates in the American League. Not this time. There is a lot of poetry in that last inning because if you want to do it in the context of the bat flip, um, if you remove Jose Bautista from the, the equation because he did, Bush did strike him out because pitchers win most of the time. Bush was the man who hit Bautista for quote unquote the bat flip. He was the one who was hitting him in his very last regular season at bat. So Bush gives up the ground ball hit by Martin, which goes to Elvis Andrus, who was the guy who made all the errors in the inning last year 
that caused all kinds of trouble. He couldn't catch the ball. He catches it this time, but he makes a bad throw. His bad it wasn't th- that bad. It wasn't great. So his poor throw gets uh, Odor, who threw the punch after Bush hit him in the uh, hit Bautista in the ribs, um, to make an off balance throw down to first base. And Mitch Moreland, who I don't know if you've noticed, probably shouldn't be a first baseman, but do they have anywhere else to put him? Um, and he bobbles it. Now, the thing I didn't realize about this, there's there's your poetic moment. Everybody who was involved is still involved. Um, Josh Donaldson stopped at third base. Which was yeah, not I didn't show- think so at first either. It was not shown on the broadcast by any angle at all. Thank you, TBS, for being horrible. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And then when he saw the ball was bobbled, decided to break for home and and made that incredible 100% sprint home and the big slide um, while Moreland was late and nowhere near the catcher. So there you go. Game over. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> just, just going through it all again. I, yeah, I, cannot... I mean, it's a really good read by Donaldson, too, because he's, you know, Moreland is a left-handed thrower, right? So he's reaching out towards the outfield and knocking the ball back towards the field, which meant he had to go pick it up and turn his body the wrong way to throw to the plate. And, and because of that, it, he beat it pretty easily. Yeah. And and he was sure. Uh, and then the Rangers, the, the Rangers challenged two things on the same play. Well, why not, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. But like, Encarnacion slide into second, which was perfectly good. And then they challenge... Um, the did he touch home plate which he obviously did it was just weird it's like well i got two challenges we'll use them up everyone's dancing around on the field so and then they stop and wait (laughs) okay we can dance again (laughs) so first sweep in blue jays playoff history Mm -hmm. that's a great feeling it is a great feeling i've been around for a lot of the blue jays uh series where they uh you know ended up on the wrong end and uh yeah that was super cool to be on the right end of of anything <sighs> that's exhausting <laughs> we it was exhausting yeah. when it actually played and i'm exhausted now. <laughs> so should we take up a little break yeah let's go maybe talk about what's next all right we'll be right back with jeff sullivan in a few seconds like to welcome back to the program mr jeffrey sullivan of Fangraphs. how are you doing tonight mr sullivan i'm doing super how are you uh i am excellent uh josh is usually good because the jays are still alive so i'm gonna guess <laughs> it does determine my mood very well <laughs> pretty much uh so we we brought you around to try and get some some insight into the cleveland clevelands as we're going to call them um for the mm-hmm. duration and uh, I guess, so the first question I, I start with is just sort of overall, offensively, defensively, how, how do they line up? How did they get here to uh, to the ALCS? I wonder if it's appropriate, if we could just call them the Aboriginals. I don't think that's offensive, right? It's, yeah. It's yeah. A good, uh, so they line up, they, they are an interesting ball club as, I mean, every team in the playoffs is good. Right, except for maybe the Texas Rangers, but uh, <laughs> they're not you, in the playoffs anymore. <laughs> that's that's fair. You look at the Indians, and I think that if you look at this roster over a regular season, if as they're constructed right now, where they don't have Carrasco, it looks like they're not going to have Salazar at all, uh, even in the bullpen. And you think this team isn't isn't that good? Maybe it's a 500 team because their rotation is weak. But in in the playoffs, you look at them. They had they made such absurd use of their bullpen in the first round. It it sort of hints at again very aggressive usage of the bullpen in the second round. And provided they can handle that workload, the Indians pitching staff is likely to be underrated. I think people are conditioned to look at their rotation and think there's nothing behind Kluber, which is true. There's there's really not much back there. But it doesn't matter if those pitchers are only going four innings until they start bringing in the relievers because their bullpen goes at least five deep with with quality arms. And uh, when you get into the lineup, I don't think there's a single bat in there that terrifies you like a like an Edwin Encarnacion or a, a Batista or a, or a Donaldson or even like Tulowitzki a third of the time. I don't know. There's there's no one in there that is menacing. It's just like it's almost all pretty good. And there's this little thing they do, which is super secret. It's not that secret, but they, they constantly have the platoon advantage. I just put a little thing up 
on Fangraphs about this just by coincidence because I was looking for something I could do in like 45 minutes. And the Indians this year led the league in percent of plate appearances with the platoon advantage. And then uh, that was at 70%. So they, 70% of their plate appearances during the season, uh, they had opposite-handed bats at the plate, which is good. Everybody knows that. And in the first round against Boston, they came in again at 70%. They have four regulars who are switch hitters. And it's going to be... It, it makes them look kind of a... It makes them better than the sum of their parts because they they are so seldom exploitable, if that makes sense, aside from, like, Roberto Perez is not good. But it's a, it's an interesting contrast to the Blue Jays, who were second last in terms of having the platoon advantage. The Blue Jays are just like, hey, we're right-handed, and that's great because we're really good at that. <laughs> and the Indians were like, well, we're not we're not that good, so we're just going to kind of do the, the subtle thing instead. And it, it works for them. It makes them surprisingly deep. We're just going back to one of the first things you talked about there with the, the way they use the bullpen against Boston, which obviously shut them down. How well do you think they're going to be able to do something like that in a 2-3-2 two, two series where you only get the two off days for seven games as opposed to two off days for five? Yeah, that's that's clearly going to be the tricky part. And I'm also going to assume that the Indians are going to sweep the series. That's uh, that's unlikely <laughs> that any team sweeps. Uh, but yeah, having having the two three two set up especially is going to make it difficult because sometimes you can ask a reliever to go back to back, maybe throw 25, 30 pitches each game. But certainly you're not going to have a situation where Andrew Miller and Cody Allen are throwing 30 pitches for seven games. That's not possible. So if you figure that Miller and Allen are the toughest ones, which they are, then that that helps because instead of throwing like 15% of their innings, it, they're more likely to throw like 10%, which is still a lot, but uh, only about 10%. Now, the tricky thing is that after them, Brian Shaw, he's a good reliever. Zach McAllister, he's a pretty good reliever. Uh, that other dude who I'm blanking, Dan Otero, of course, who everybody blanks on Dan Otero. But like if you look at his numbers, Dan Otero had an amazing season this year, and nobody even knows who he is. I think he goes home and his family is like, who is this stranger who just walked in the door? But it doesn't matter. <laughs> He's like 31 years old and incredible, and they barely had to use him in the ALDS. So I don't know. I This isn't the best comparison, but I was thinking like last year in the playoffs, I felt like the Blue Jays had sort of an an underrated bullpen uh, now, granted, that they uh, the bullpen didn't do so good in the ALCS, but uh, Otero he doesn't throw as hard as as Aaron Sanchez, but he he's kind of like a reliever version of Aaron Sanchez. I wanted to call him underrated, like Liam Hendricks, except I, I don't I don't recall Hendricks being like a ground ball guy. But Otero is just like constant strikes and ground balls, which is really hard to hit against. Uh, and he's like the fourth or fifth reliever in that bullpen, so. It's going to be tough because they don't need to lean on Bauer or Clevenger or the other guy, what, Tomlin. Tomlin, uh, they don't need to lean on him very much. I, I was kind of okay. curious because it, it does look like Francona has decided that uh, he will push the button on Andrew Miller or Cody Allen, uh, and he will do it whenever he determines he just sort of feels like it like he he doesn't seem to be paying too much attention to leverage it's like well i'm not going to wait too long and not being able to get him in the game for two or three innings so i'm going to push the button in the fifth or it, it doesn't even matter if there's runners on or anything could that backfire on him if if one of them is a little tired or has a, a is worn out or has a bad night and then he really doesn't have too many other buttons to push well thankfully he does it like uh, even if he pushes, we'll go with we'll stick with the button metaphor, simile metaphor metaphor. I've never been good at this. Let's go with metaphor. Even if he presses <laughs> the, works. the the button uh, metaphor, shouldn't have said that. Then uh, the difference between him and I don't know who's a manager who has one good reliever. I I can't think of one. They exist. It's like Bruce Bochy plus one good reliever. Yeah, sure, the Dodgers. <laughs> well, no, Joe Blanton. That makes sense. Anyway, so <laughs> even if he presses the Andrew Miller button and uses him in like the fourth or fifth or, or sixth inning. Maybe Miller doesn't quite have it. The, there's still the other relievers that he can use after that. There's still Allen, who is as good as most teams' best reliever, I think, even though he can be a little shaky throwing strikes. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say that I love necessarily how early Francona has used Miller, Like especially I think it was game one where he brought him in like the fourth or fifth inning. I thought that was strange timing because as much as I uh, applaud the aggressive usage I thought he could have waited for a bigger moment uh, but that might have been about him saying well I don't want to have to warm Miller up again and maybe he just started warming him and then thought well I should bring him in and just see what he does I uh, so I would like to see Francona 
maybe wait a little bit longer, which is a, a funny thing to have to complain about uh, in baseball, <laughs> given the whole Buck Showalter thing. Um, but I would assume that certainly come playoff time, there is enough adrenaline coursing through the players. This is why you see pitchers going on short rest so often. They sort of, I think, don't quite feel the fatigue that you would during the regular season because everything is so important. And then, you know, by the time that you are either champions or you are eliminated, then your body probably tells you, I wish that I hadn't done any of that. <laughs> when it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of all comes... Like, I've never run a marathon. I'm not stupid, but I would assume that, like, <laughs> after 26.2 miles, you cross the finish line, and then you're like, what did I do? And then, because as soon as you're, like, done... Uh, running with all the, yeah, I assume like the last third of it is just nothing but adrenaline uh, and then as soon as you don't have that drive anymore then uh, I would assume that it all comes caving in and then as a professional baseball player you get like three days off before you start working out again so yeah. um, I mean the, the other thing that we were we're looking at of course that we haven't really talked about is the defense um, the Jays get a lot of credit for having a strong defense on the left side um, and to a, a lesser extent, up the middle, <clears throat> pardon me, um, depending on how you view Devin Travis, but certainly with Troy Tulowitzki, how do the uh, Clevelands stand up defensively when you look <laughs> at them? Uh, I, As I recall, I don't think the outfield is, is super. I don't think Naquin is particularly good. I don't, I don't think Chisholm is good or bad. I uh, then they kind of was mix. minus seventeen DRS. <clears throat> yeah, I was trying to be nice. Nicklin <laughs> seems like he's quite terrible. Uh, I would assume he's a little better than that, but he, he's probably over his head in center field, kind of like a lot of batted balls are over his head. I think that Coco Zing. Crisp obviously he's been better, but uh, he's he's old. Uh, and Roger Davis at the like there's there's no Gold Glove in the outfield, and there's at least one weakness. I think when you think about the Cleveland defense, of course you think about Francisco Lindor, which makes sense. He's probably if he's not the best shortstop defensively in baseball, it's only because Andrew and Simmons and Brandon Crawford are absurd. And uh, and so Lindor leads that defense. Jose Ramirez is good at third base ever since he took over for the departed Juan Uribe. Kipnis is whatever. First base, they kind of mix and match. Napoli, Santana, that's also kind of whatever. So there's, there's two, like, shining areas uh, in the defense, but mostly it's, it's not great. And to their... I don't know, credit, or at least working to their benefit, they either have strikeout pitchers mostly or ground ball pitchers. So the, the outfield doesn't get tested too much, especially when the uh, when the bullpen comes in. Because, like, when's the last time we saw a batted ball off Andrew Miller? And I'm going to – here's a little hot tip. You might not know this. He didn't allow any all season long, not a single one. <laughs> That's pretty handy for a pitcher. <laughs> I know. it's incre I don't know why they don't use him more. Yeah, you mentioned crisps not being what he used to be defensively <laughs> we kind of saw that like you know a rocket to him with a runner on second and he's scoring anyway in the tiny little 400 you know inch outfield distance in left field in boston do you think that could really hurt him playing on bigger a slightly bigger field in toronto like just teams running on him like crazy i think that you it's uncommon to run too aggressively on a left fielder uh, unless the ball is hit in the corner, at which point, I mean, yeah, he has no prayer of really throwing a, a good relay. But you uh, you figure the bulk of the running, I think, comes against center fielders and right fielders. Uh, but if you if you want to come to a consensus, yeah, it's, it's a weakness of his. It's uh, one of the problems with the Indians' defensive alignment. Uh, they don't use Crisp every single day. He's sort of in this complicated... I think it's like a three or four player platoon. I don't know exactly how it works, but like Brandon Geyer is out there sometimes. Sometimes Rajay Davis is out there, and I think Davis has a better arm. I don't really know that for sure. Uh, the, what, one of the weird things about this Indian team is it's forced me to think a lot about players who I never really wanted to think about too much, like a Coco Crisp or a Rajay Davis, where you just think like, oh, it's like a one-win player. But then they just like force them into your monitor, and you just have to think about them, which is not anything I wanted to do, but now I kind of have to, right? Yeah, they do uh, well in that whole, you know, oh, that guy's still in the league? Roster business. Yeah, and helping. Like, it, it's interesting if you look at this team, and they, they picked up very quietly around the deadline, uh, Brandon Geyer and Coco Crisp. All the attention was on them getting Andrew Miller and basically, but then not quite getting Jonathan Lucroy. And and people thought, okay, so so that's it. And they didn't do a whole lot for the lineup. But, like, Crisp has helped 
uh, in that platoon role. Geyer has helped because they couldn't really hit, or their right-handed bats couldn't really hit very well much of the season. But then they added those guys, and all of a sudden, it's just kind of funny how it's worked out where you get to the playoffs and think, oh, yeah, those super low-impact moves have helped, and the trade deadline is really, really difficult to predict. Yeah, well, I mean, that's suddenly how it goes. And Luke Rice home, and the Indians are still playing. Or the Clevelands. Or so You violated your own rule. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really hard. <laughs> uh, I was writing a piece, and I did it like four times and had to go back and edit it. But uh, so given everything you just said, how do you see this sort of series sort of playing out? Other than a sweep. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a little, I'm a little biased uh, because one – of the things I've seen from the Blue Jays just in the last two playoffs alone, or I guess playoffs and a half, I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, the way that they've played has been so sort of like dominating and intimidating. And I know that they lost to the Royals, but when I think about the Blue Jays in the playoffs, I just keep thinking about like home runs and goal horns and like a big boisterous crowd that makes it really difficult to envision them losing. But what's going to be tricky is the Blue Jays are extremely right-handed. Most of their offensive talent is right-handed. And as, uh, as much as I like Osuna in the bullpen, I'm not really sold so much on the others. It's going to be very interesting to see how, how Liriano looks, uh, because I don't I can't think of too many cases of a pitcher coming back from a concussion like a week later and <laughs> trying to throw high leverage innings. So as I look at it, I think the Blue Jays are the uh, the slightly better team, and it feels like to me if there's I wouldn't say a turning point. I hate the expression X factor, but if I just keep saying things I don't like, you'll kind of know what I'm getting at anyway. So I don't have a term for what I want to say, but X factor is it. Except that sucks. I think that if the Blue Jays can get the Indians bullpen tired and get into the deeper bits of it, which the Red Sox could never do then I think that's exploitable. I do think the Blue Jays match up fairly well with, like, a Zach McAllister. He's a fly ball pitcher, and and he he loses the zone sometimes. And then you have Dan Otero, and I was talking about him earlier. I love how often he throws strikes and ground balls, but as analysts have pointed to more often over the past few years, there's sort of like a hidden platoon advantage, in a way, for fly ball hitters against ground ball pitchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I, And Ask I would Sam expect Dyson. that comes... There you go. That's that's a good example where you think Sam Dyson got lit up, and it wasn't just him, but he got he got knocked around, and he was just trying to throw sinkers. Sam Dyson is not too different from, like, a Dan Otero, and if you have Otero out there trying to get important outs against Batista, Donaldson, and Carnacion, these fly ball-hitting sluggers, then even though those are right-handed hitters against a right-handed pitcher, I think that there is the potential for some uh, some big turning points there. So... I know this isn't a prediction, and I don't really give predictions very often, but assuming the Blue Jays' offense is as healthy and it clicks kind of like it did against the Rangers, like Josh Donaldson, for example, looked a lot healthier than he did in the final, I don't know, two weeks of the regular season, like when he scampered around third base, he looked like nothing could could stop him. Uh, Then I still think the Blue Jays' lineup is sufficient to win this series because I think the Blue Jays pitching is sort of underrated in that they have too many starters, which is a funny problem given the conversation several months ago. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I guess I would say Blue Jays in six or seven. Okay. All right. We finally dragged one out of you. Just letting you ramble on there. <laughs> <laughs> I should have kept talking. You know, if I kept talking, just about anything. I could just recite this Indians page that I'm looking at. Perez, Jimenez, Perez, Moore, Perez, 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 Gomes. I could just do that the whole time. And then and you would have really ended up with you telling us about the Mariners. And the- <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's interesting because I said Perez, Jimenez, Perez, Moore, and that happens to be Adam Moore. Now, here's what's interesting <laughs> about Adam Moore. Adam Moore was drafted by the Seattle Mariners in the sixth round of the 2006 amateur draft. I'm not going to keep doing this, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize he was. I wonder how long you could have actually gone doing that. <laughs> we'll it's, find out uh, next and time. With, long. with Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs, uh, where can the, the nice folks find you on the Twitter? Oh, uh, based. Uh, it's hard to say out loud. Based, uh, like the past tense of base, which isn't a verb, <laughs> underscore ball. Like baseball, except different. In the past tense. In the past as, tense. As yeah, past had. tense of base, baseball, I guess. 
Um, well, we do appreciate you coming on. Uh, always a good chuckle and uh, some real insight. So check uh, Jeff out at Fangraphs. He obviously has some more things written about the Indians, but um, nothing about the Blue Jays because you hate the Blue Jays, right? Oh, yeah. No, the, the whole maple leaf stink is kind of, it, it colors everything. That's it right there. Oh, Austin Matthews scored again, by the way. <laughs> First period. Uh, Two goals. Okay. Well, end on that note, on the Austin Matthews, Austin <laughs> Hang Matthews up now. highlight. Hang video. up now. <laughs> Have a good one, Jeff. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Jeff Sullivan, who that, that took him a long time to come up with a prediction, but we, uh, I like his prediction, I guess. Jays in six or seven. I can live with that. Yeah, I think that most Jays fans or all Jays fans should be happy with that. There's somebody listening right now going, hey, what are Jays in five? <laughs> and nothing. If, they're, if, if someone here is listening and thinking they would only be happy that way, stop <laughs> listening. <laughs> you go, there are other <laughs> podcasts. We won't tell you what they're called. Um, so, Lister questions. Fire up the question machine, Mr. Housen. What do we have? All right. So, from Michael Ray at Razorblade, how should and how will the rotation line up for the ALCS? We did not talk about this with Mr. Sullivan. No. Uh, number one we know is Marco Estrada. Yes. Um, because he deserves it. And they like him on regular rest-ish. Number two, I think, should be Marcus Stroman. Not just because guys named Mark should be going first, but because Stroman has not pitched in, I don't know, how long is it going to be now? Eight days? Nine days? A while. Long enough that if you don't use him second, you've got a big problem with how long it's been since you've used him, in my opinion. Uh, and then I would probably go uh, Happen and then Sanchez because you're n not going to ever get you're not going to use Sanchez twice in a series. They've already basically stated it, and with how many innings he's thrown, they don't seem to want to use him twice. So that's how I think it lines up. Do you think I'm right? I think you are right, and I would not do it that way. I don't want Mark and Stroman only pitching on the road. Of all the people who get their advantage <laughs> from the Jays' home crowd, he is at the top of the list. You might be right. Or you might and be crazy. Game two, he's not pitching at home. Right. True. And, you know, on that note, if you put him in game three, you could have him throw a simulated game on Thursday or on Wednesday, which would be when we recorded this, so that he would be fresh and like on a sort of decent turn when his turn comes up again. So if you are watching Marcus Stroman throw a simulated game right now and not attend a concert uh, or some other event, let us know. <laughs> you, you yeah, Drake's us. concert got canceled, so he's not there. Uh, you can reach us at TurfBot. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, question two um, from Wheezy T, and that's four E's in Wheezy. It's a two-parter because uh, Twitter hasn't removed that character limit yet. Are there any examples of teams utilizing a specific approach successfully versus Miller this year? And if so, should the Jays mirror that? Or should the Jays just stick to their game plan and not focus too much on Miller? Uh, I think if you're trying to game plan for Miller, you've already lost. He's just too good. You know, he gave up two runs in a game once all season. And the guys who hit him were Miguel Rojas, who, and Ichiro. It's like, it's just fluky, back-to-back -back doubles. I, you just got to hope that you can get the runs off the guys before and after him. Um, yeah, I, I would tend to agree. There, he's an elite closer being used in an even more elite scenario for a very good reason i mean um, yeah, you can, can tell can how good him. you can tell how good zach Britton was in the playoffs oh no yes you can't, <laughs> you can't I love keep that. going back yeah. to that well um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he can be hit but i just don't think that there's a specific game plan you just gotta hope you get a fastball in McConnect because you're not hitting a slider <laughs> uh yeah so all all hail josh donaldson versus andrew miller all right next question uh okay Here's one from Luke at Spork V. What do you make of the reports of the Jays planning on making a run at Edwin? Do you think that it's a typo here? Do you think it's likely they keep him? Do I think it's likely? Mm, no. Do I think it's possible? Sure. Because he's going to be a free agent and he's going to go out and test the waters. And if they come up with a, 
a comparable offer uh i I can definitely see him coming back here at at equivalent money or uh one year less or something else to to stay in toronto because he's comfortable but i don't think it's likely And, and i certainly don't think he doesn't test free agency no but obviously they don't there's been you know rumblings about them making a run at him and you know it doesn't really matter but you know it's just he's going to take the teams that pay him so if the jays pony up he'll stay if they don't he won't yep and now we get to the other kinds of questions that we get around here um from matthew Corey, who i, I must emphasize at maddie maddie 2000 is a good friend of the podcast <laughs> and a big <laughs> boston red sox fan <clears throat> Who would you rather play in the World Series? And no, this isn't intended as a jinx at all. Why would you think that? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think he's asking this question, Greg? I I don't know. It couldn't possibly be to jinx us because he says right here in the question uh, that he's not intending to do that. And I I take him as a man of his word. It it, it couldn't. Maybe it's because another ALS team, ALEs team got knocked out. No, 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 no. no, no, That's not it. No, he wouldn't want to jinx this based (laughs) on that alone. Um, I would rather play the loser of the national league championship series, because I think our odds (laughs) would be much better against that team. Having that should have been the tagline. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we can go back and edit that or not. That'll just get confusing. All right. You want to read the last question? No, I don't. No, we already had a Austin <laughs> no. Matthews update in the interview. Why not now? Because get, get this hockey crap off our podcast. <laughs> uh, so uh, Grumble Pie uh, at Freegenie underscore S. The answer is uh, yes. Apparently we have. <laughs> See, I didn't read the question. <laughs> Moving uh, on. Moving on. We're going to move on to. Nice uh, preparation, Greg. The do over. Ooh. Who'd you like to go with first? Uh, let's pick on Greg Zahn. It's fun to pick on Greg Zahn. Sure. So <laughs> this one came to us from Ewan Ross, BP Toronto, prospect guy. You know, uh, Greg Zahn, before the series, was saying that if Roberto Osuna was not available in game one of the LDS, he would not put him on the roster. He was not available in game one. Shocking. Yeah, they won 10 to 1. And then he was huge in the rest of the series. I, when Zahn says stuff like that, I am awfully curious as to who he was planning on closing any of the games. Like, was he going to go with Grilly? Was that the plan? Cause, I don't know. Like, but all I know is that Osuna pitched four, three and two-thirds innings and did not give up a run. And they were by far the highest leverage situations of the whole series and he did not falter the shame yeah and then when they when they were like down to the ryan to Perez and aaron loops of the world and he was limited to one inning in game three he threw an eight pitch inning so he could go out there again <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was crazy it's like we're gonna need you to throw an inning okay i'm gonna make it really really short so that if you need me for my usual 20 pitches i can still get out there for the second inning I was like, really at that point i was like you got to score for this guy unquestionably but mr zahn <laughs> for leaving roberto osuna off of the roster uh you can come on apologize or we can leave you off the sports net you know what if, if zahn gets sick for any of the games and is unable to be on we just leave him off the rest of the season i think that's fair i that's like fair. i like this new version of the do-over <laughs> we just have creative punishments or you know he can always come on the podcast and tell us how sorry he is no, no, no. I like the other one better. You like the new one? Okay, fine. Number two, uh, your guy, Rob Manfred. My boy. I love picking on Rob. It's just so easy. <laughs> so, as everyone is well aware, a bear can was thrown onto the field during the wild card game against Baltimore. Afterwards, Mr. Manfred said, and I quote, I don't think there is another ballpark where beer is served in cans. <laughs> to which... Pictures started popping up from almost every stadium in the league. No, we serve cans here. They have cans here. They have cans here. He's the most uninformed commissioner ever, and it's amazing. He didn't, like, he could have just stopped it, I don't think. And that would have probably been accurate. <laughs> it would have been, yeah. But everyone's just like, we know, Rob. Yes. But 
I mean, you can. I guess he leaned over to someone who was sitting with him watching the game and going, "Is that the only place they serve beer in Kansas? That seems strange." And you know, they said, "Oh yes, yeah, it's a Toronto thing," uh, and that was no, it. No, I but, don't think he even does that. No, he just. <laughs> I've never seen a beer can in my private box. <laughs> <laughs> It's always oh, in it's these glasses. Amazing. It's like, no, we got him here and here and here and here. It's like half the places in the league serve beer in cans. Yes, because it's not the beer can. It's the person, the moron throwing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite frankly. <laughs> so. so, Rob, you don't even get the creative do-over. You just need to just, just think, research before you comment. <laughs> Please. We've tried to get you to do this so many times. It's your league. You're in yeah. charge. figure out what's going on with it all right uh i'm going to hand it over to you uh, for a final thought uh, because you know what my final thought's going to be so don't steal my final thought all right so the first one once again 10 million people watched game three of the instant rangers 10 million a third of the country that's doesn't make sense <laughs> one and a half million watch the pregame show uh again people you don't need to do that <laughs> hey 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 jamie's a regular guest come on they well, definitely you, need you to do can that. but you don't you don't need to was that <laughs> was that not one of those um, was not the pregame show that lasted forever because the other game was rained out or something uh, i don't remember uh, what, you, what the sacred sense yes actually because yeah, boston game was rained out um my other one Brown star to TBS broadcast because they can't get a gold one. <laughs> but after all the people saying, where's the pitch count? Why don't you have a pitch count? Please, how can not anyone not have a pitch count at this point in, the, in time? It's 2016. They put one in. Yes. They actually listened to people. They didn't put it in until the second inning. And then apparently putting the pitch count at the top of the graphic did some horrible things to i don't know maybe it was heavy on the one side or something because clearly the strike zone was nowhere near what the umpire was calling all night (laughs) yeah no tbs's broadcast is like seriously epic levels of awful but at least they did that (laughs) they listened listen to the will of the people um brown star (laughs) so (laughs) it's a poo star (laughs) so we uh we are approaching a an anniversary in Blue Jays history of the Jose Bautista bat flip. It will coincide with game one of the American League Championship Series. Uh, for whatever reason, things are always pushed back a little bit here and there. I, I love that moment, obviously, as I think most Blue Jay fans do, um, except the, you know, the fun police who might still not like it. My question is, because anytime anybody flips a bat now, Immediately, it is compared to what Bautista did in some way, shape, or form. And when you start talking about bat flipping, you have to cover his in the conversation. In the moment following it, when we realized, you know, not only that he had hit the home run, but that he had pimped it to no no unbelievable end, did you think that we would be talking about it in this way? That it was a defining moment in in a personality sense of baseball? You know, I kind of did. Just because of the way that people have been reacting to smaller instances ahead of that. And, you know, the way that was it Schwarber had the the big the big bat flip or the big bomb. And then people are like putting like his bat up where Schwarber's ball had gone. And I figured this would be a lasting thing. Yeah. I did not. I I thought it would be one of those moments like, I mean, people talk about the Jeter flip or people talk about, you know, but I guess a lot of those moments only happen in context that is when when the playoffs come around that's when people start talking about all those big sort of playoff moments sure this is every time someone flips a bat to tie a game or someone does something funny with a bat that is not quite your standard flip somehow bautista comes up like half the time and I didn't think it would be something that would be be so constant. Or, I mean, the other thing is obviously it creates that whole what are players allowed to do and what are players of a certain skin color allowed to do compared to other players. Um, and I think that's where the conversation really, that's why it won't die is because there's one culture that says, you know what, have fun, have as much fun as you want in baseball. And they've even called the Blue Jays now the kings of fun. And then there's another culture that says, well, you got to be a man about it. And And that moment with Bautista is... 
is sort of the flashpoint for that over and over again. That I didn't expect to, to last that long. But it's super oh, yeah. cool. Okay, I get that. Yes, it is. It's awesome. So, so it's an anniversary worth celebrating. We should all go flip something. <laughs> not your friends, people. And probably not anything with your laptop on it. Just a note. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here is uh, to many more home run celebrations because the Blue Jays have hit 10 in four games. Yeah. I'm sure they're going to keep this up. Ah. <sighs> That means that we are approaching the end of the program again. And that means uh, that uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been uh, Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And our guest this week was Jeff Sullivan at Based underscore Ball. Uh, maybe just type Jeff Sullivan and look for him. Uh, <laughs> and this has been episode number 33 of the Artificial Turf Wars. We will talk to you again next week. 